Well, and thank you, Hope Point family. Um, to say that I am excited about what God is about to do in our midst is a massive understatement. Um, I just briefly, brief, I just briefly shared um, just this weird experience. I've never had that before. I'll be honest. Sitting in the front row, just feeling so sick just before coming up the preach. Never had that before. So. I believe that God wants to say something and the enemy will do whatever he can to try and distract us. He will do whatever he can to try and take our attention off what God would say to us this morning. But my encouragement is exactly what Carol voiced, that we are ready, that we open our hearts and that we are willing to receive what God would have us here this morning. So let's pray. Father, I want to thank you as we start that you have prepared this word in advance for us to hear that you're a God of love, that you're a God of mercy. And Father, you just want to lavish on your children this morning. And so we are ready to receive. We are ready to receive from the Father of love this morning. Amen. I'm talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness. A bit of a taboo subject in our society today. And in fact, to highlight that, I've got two quotes here that I'd like to read to you from two very famous and powerful men. We will not forgive. We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay. These are the words of Joe Biden, spoken in August 2021 in response to a terrorist attack which killed 18 service men and women. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you also. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. These are the words of Jesus of Nazareth recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 14 to 15, I believe it is, yes. Tremendous contrast between these two perspectives. Tremendous contrast in these two points of view. And look, anyone could understand where Joe Biden is coming from. Anyone who's ever been wronged or has someone done something that has hurt them, particularly from someone they've loved, can understand the the anger. And some would even say the righteous indignation or the righteous fury that is being expressed here by the President of the United States. particularly if you consider the situation that he's speaking about. It's at times like this, it's at times when we consider how broken our world is that scriptures like Matthew uh, 6 verse 14 to 15 are difficult to actually wrap our head around. Firstly, where's the justice in it? Are we just to forgive? Are we just to forget? Are we just to let the people off the hook who've harmed us? particularly in such terrible circumstances. But secondly, how does this scripture actually fit in with the grand narrative of the gospel as outlined here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9? For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourselves. It is a free gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so in searching for a response to these questions coming out of this passage of Matthew 6, 
I came across some very interesting theological discussions online. And one of the suggestions was that maybe that what Jesus is talking about here when he is talking to a group of people is he's saying there's this earthly forgiveness, this 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 temporary forgiveness. And, and if you aren't willing to show people a temporary earthly forgiveness now, well, well, your heavenly Father won't forgive you here on earth. But if you're a Christian and you pass on to the next life, then, then you'll receive an eternal forgiveness. And, and to be honest with you, I, I, don't know where, I can't subscribe to that particular point of view. See, when I read this passage, particularly the words of Jesus, I take them very literal. And I think he means exactly what he says. That if we don't forgive, we will not be forgiven. If this is true. If forgiveness is actually so important and it has eternal consequences for us. Now bear with me because I'd like us to look at another passage from the book of Matthew. If you've got your Bible with you, if you can turn to Matthew in just the next chapter, chapter 7, verse 16 to 18. I think this can give us a little bit of a context of what Jesus is doing here, what he's talking about. It says, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick um, grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Next verse is actually quite poignant. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Of course, Jesus isn't talking here about literal trees and literal fruit, even though he's using the analogy, he's trying to paint a picture, he's trying to help us understand a very important biblical concept. It's not the fruit that produces the tree. It's not the good fruit that produces the good tree. It's not the bad fruit that produces the bad tree. The good fruit is a result of the good tree, just like the bad fruit is a result of the bad tree. Our behaviours, our actions, our attitudes come from the condition of our heart. And you know, we find that elsewhere in Scripture, this principle is well documented. And one of the passages is Luke 6, verse 45, where we read, A good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For what the mouth speaks, what the heart is full of. See, as harsh as the words of Jesus are, I think it gives us an opportunity to take stock and to recognize if we are harboring unforgiveness. And to further this point, we will turn to the keynote passage that we're going to be focusing on today. And it's also in the book of Matthew. Lots of looking at the book of Matthew today. And it's Matthew 18 verse 21 through to 35. So if you can turn with me there, that would be fantastic. I 
think this passage just so beautifully encapsulates uh, a biblical understanding of forgiveness and, and, and gives us the tools to be empowered to forgive others. And so we start here in verse 21, and, and we got this fellow Peter, Peter the Apostle, uh, who was very close to Jesus, by the way, um, and, and, and he comes to Jesus, and then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who has sinned against me? Up to seven times? And of course, by now we know that Peter has a bit of a reputation of sticking his nose in the business, being the one who first likes to answer Jesus, being the one who likes to appear to be the most loyal disciple. Um, and, and, and I was thinking about this, why would Peter be posing this question to Jesus? And in my mind, there's probably only one of two reasons why. One could be that he was genuinely dealing with unforgiveness in his life. Maybe it could have been that one of the disciples that they'd been doing life with was rubbing him up the wrong way and he just genuinely wanted to know, how many times do I need to forgive James before I need to give him a kick up the tail? Could have been a legit question. But I suppose something that's just as likely is Peter loved to be the teacher's pet. And I could just imagine him smirking as he told Jesus up to seven times, being really proud of how righteous he was being in forgiving those who had wronged him up to seven times. Whatever the motive, the question remains. No doubt we have all experienced hurt. No doubt we have all experienced the pain of someone we love betray us. No doubt we have all experienced the shame, the pain, the indignation of having something done to us, which at times can really cut to the very core of who we are. And sometimes they can leave physical and mental scars. So it's in light of this that Jesus' response is so fascinating. And let's read here what Jesus responds to Peter in chapter 22, oh sorry, verse 22 rather. Jesus answers, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. 77 times. This is so interesting. Because doesn't society tell us that we need to be the ones who defend our honour? Doesn't society tell us, and even find it in Scripture in the book of Leviticus, chapter 24, verse 20, eye for an eye, two for a tooth. No one is going to talk to me that way and get away with it. No one is going to step on my honour and get away scot-free. And even as I'm sharing these comments with you, something that comes to mind is, is an experience that I had a few years back, in fact probably too many for my liking, as, as a younger man living in a, a bachelor pad and, and, and Mrs. Batorius, oh, Mel, she told me I would be in big trouble if I said Mrs. Batorius, so I'm going to cop it later. Anyway, Mel, me and Mel were still dating at the time and, and I lived with a bunch of guys just scanning the room to see if any of those guys are here. Fantastic. Um, 
So I live with these bunch of guys, and me and one of the young men from the home, he was a really likable young man, but he did struggle a little bit with self-esteem, got into a bit of an argument, and I was trying to reflect, what was it that we were actually arguing about? And I just for the life of me can't remember, but it looked, maybe it was about who had the better car, or who was strong, or something dumb, you know, the type of thing that young people argue about. But we got in this argument, and I um, called him something, which I don't, care to repeat here but needless to say it was very offensive and as soon as I said that to him it was like I'd taken a dagger and just shoved it into his gut he almost physically recoiled at the words that I said and I knew in that instant that I'd hit a nerve with him that the words that I'd spoken had really impacted him deeply and so he sort of had to rebut the the rest of the guys the house were there and, and he said I dare you to say that again oh boy put out a physical and verbal challenge in front of the other guys and thinking I'm the alpha male of the house, I had to puff up my chest and I looked him straight in the eye and I said, do your worst, repeating the words that I'd said earlier. Now this young man unfortunately could not match it with me physically so he stormed off to his room and slammed the door and I thought that would be the end of the story. Turns out not. A couple of weeks later, uh, Melinda, I and a couple of our friends were hanging out on the beach and I get this random text message and it says, uh, you better get home soon, your stuff's about to get wet. And at that time, I'd already forgotten what this uh, whole situation, this incident from earlier had been uh, and, and I tried to call the student, he just wasn't answering, I thought, geez, that's weird, maybe I'd left some washing out or something like that and there was rain around so got in the car and we, we rushed home and to my surprise when we got to the property, um, in the backyard, my whole room, and I mean the whole room, had been undone and redone outside in the backyard, the same it was on the inside. <laughs> Uh, the bed was sitting on the grass and I had my bedside table with the lamp on the right side. I had my computer desk with the computer and even the mouse was sort of to the side, plugged into the computer with no power. Um, at that time in my life, I used to have inspirational quotes on my wall and I had goals written on the roof so that when I lay in bed at night, I could read the promises of God and the plans and purposes he had for me. Those had been torn down and uh, defaced and all sorts of interesting things written on there and they were all over the place, and I was just filled with rage. Now, Melinda can testify, she's never seen me this angry, and I don't know what came over me, but I rushed upstairs, it was a double-story Queenslander building, I went into his room, I grabbed him by the scruff of the neck, and I literally dragged him to the edge of the balcony. And, and luckily, praise God, there were some friends there who talked me down, and Melinda was screaming in my ear, and, and this young man is still alive and well today, praise God. <laughs> but believe it or not that was not the worst of it so you know we sort of dealt with it and whatever and we made up and kiss made up Um, and then a couple of months later we were celebrating Mel's 21st birthday party and I'd taken her out on a special day to Condolilla Fools and prior to this I'd purchased a really expensive perfume that I'd saved ages up for as a as a young man, not having much money, it took me a fair bit of effort to get the money for this present. And then I wrote her this really romantic and intimate card. Um, well, it was more of a letter. You know you know what cards are like if you're really into someone, they turn into little letters. Anyway, um, so had this. And, and, and when she opened, I just remember her being so excited because she had wanted this perfume and we talked about it and she got it. And then she started reading the letter and she started crying and I thought, 
Yes, nailed it. But but you know that point where someone starts crying and, and it's not like oh that's cute. It turns into like that ugly sob type of crying situation. Well, I knew something was wrong. And then she showed me the card. And I don't know when, but at some point, this young man had got into this present that I bought. Mel, he'd opened it up very delicately, uh, read the card, and then with Black Nico, crossed out all my words, and then at the bottom he wrote, "Um, I bought you this because you're so smelly. Make sure you wear it every day. And you could imagine just... Actually, as, as Mel read it earlier again, I was, she just said, man, you were so shattered. She's never seen me like that as well. But it, it really, really broke me as a young man, being so humiliated in, in front of this person that I love. And thinking back on it, I don't have any animosity towards this young man. I don't wish him any ill will. We're still friends, even though we don't speak as regularly. And this definitely had an influence on our friendship. But I feel regret at the way in which I responded, the way in which I acted, the words that I spoke. And I don't know if I could ever do what he did to me or Melinda, and more, more so, to anyone else. But what I do know is that my actions so significantly impacted him that he had to respond in the way or he felt he had to respond in the way that he did. The truth of the matter is her point at hurting people hurt people. And we live in a world full of hurting and broken people. It's true. We do have this tremendous capacity to love. And you're just having a look around. I, I saw the Beatty family with a couple of those shoe boxes, and inside I was just filled with joy because some little person somewhere else in the world is going to get some, some presents for Christmas. And, and, and there's so many initiatives and different things that we as Hope Point get behind and cherish. I think of the missionaries overseas that we support. I think of our local chaplaincy. In the, can we just give our chaplains a huge shout out, by the way? They do a tremendous job in a very difficult place. So we honour you and thank you. And so, so we are involved with those type of things, right? Where we give and we can make people's lives better. But yet there's somehow, because of sin, because of our brokenness, this propensity or this, this capability of causing and reaping destruction in other people's lives. It makes the words of Jesus all the more fascinating. I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. But Jesus, how is this possible? How can I forgive someone if they've caused me such hurt? How is it possible that I can let them off the hook when they have caused me scars which I will carry for many years moving forward? If they have stolen my innocence, if they have stolen my dignity and they have stolen my peace, how do they deserve to be forgiven? On a side note, there's a very interesting passage of Scripture in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 19. It says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave a room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. 
But if we go back to the story and Jesus' conversation with Peter, I believe that as he spoke those words, Peter would have demonstrated some sort of shock. This was mind-blowing. Not seven times, but 77 times. And so Jesus starts by elaborating using this parable of the unmerciful servant. Verse 23 to 35. Isn't it just how Jesus works though? He takes these things that we think we have nailed. He takes these thoughts, these ideologies, the philosophies that we think are going to carry us through life. And he yet so gently reminds us that we don't really know what's going on. And then he gives us an opportunity to repent, to change our thinking, how we think about things. And so let's read quickly together from verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. As he began to settle, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, and we'll get to that in a second, was brought before him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered he, his wife, and his children, all he had be sold into repay for his debt. At this, a servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I wonder if we can hear the desperation here in the servant's voice. And I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled his debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found out that a fellow servant had owed him but a hundred silver coins. Quite insignificant compared to the great debt that he owed. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went out, threw the man into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw this and saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told the master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. Note the words. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all your debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have showed mercy to your fellow servant had, uh, just as I had you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. Once again, an interesting choice of words here. Until he should pay back all he owed. This is how your heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and your sister from your heart. Wow. See, instead of letting us wallow in our self-pity, Jesus here paints a picture which hits home a hard truth. We are the unforgiving servant. We have all caused pain in other people's lives. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And if you don't believe it, just have a look at the people in your life and ask yourself, is there anyone that I have caused harm? Anyone's trust that I have broken. You know, I find it fascinating that in verse 24, Jesus used this analogy of 10,000 gold bags. 
if we think about it, that's actually a staggering amount of money. You know, some translations will tell us there was a thousand talents. And I did a bit of research to try and work out, well, what is a thousand talents worth round about in our day and age? And, and, and many scholars would say it's about six, uh, $6 billion worth of debt that this servant was forgiven for. And it's not even that we can put our sin in, in this category of, of money, but what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to demonstrate the great weight and gravity of our sin. And yet what is so amazing is despite the fact that this servant had been forgiven of this tremendous debt, he goes out and grabs the, the, his servant who owed him the slightest little bit. And tried to seek justice, tried to seek revenge, tried to seek retribution from him. You might be thinking at this point in time, well, clearly I would never do that. Surely no one is ever going to do that. But I've got two boys and I can tell you, not five seconds after I've forgiven one from something, they'll go grab a toy, bonk the other one on the head for some wrong that they've done to them. And I was talking to a bunch of kids on Friday um, at school, and it's so true even within the school context, the kids will muck up or be rude to the teacher's face and, and they'll get some grace. But then, and not, not a period later, they're, they're having a crack at their mate for a meme that was posted or something that was said in the playground. It's like, I'll see you after school, bro, and all those type of things because they need to get their revenge. It's part of the condition of the human heart. But, you know, ultimately Jesus understood this dynamic of forgiveness. When we forgive someone, it is not actually for their benefit, but it is for ours brings me back to this story and I try and think about the crazy amount of time that this young man must have spent planning meticulously waiting for me to leave home so he's got enough time to undo my bed. He had to unscrew everything and do it up. How long must he have been carrying that weight of unforgiveness? How much energy did he spend on actually planning his revenge on me? How often did the word that I spoke to him run over and over and over and over in his mind to the point where it consumed his soul? That's the trap. That's the prison of unforgiveness. And you know what? He got me a whopper. He got me good. But at what cost? What did he cost him? Someone once said, unforgiveness is kind of like torturing yourself and expecting someone else to feel the pain of it. I've seen firsthand the changes, the pain that unforgiveness, the, the way that unforgiveness can destroy someone's relationships, their mental health, and even sometimes their physical appearance. It can change as we carry that way. You know, I want to do a very quick illustration here. So I've asked the strongest person at uh, Hope Point to come up. Can you give Mike a huge round of applause here? Big Mike. All right, I haven't explained to him what's happening here, but I've got to wait. And so, Mike, all I want to do for you, bro, it's, it's, it's really easy. This is only two and a half kilos. Um, so you're just going to hold that out in front of, the, of your body for me, and we'll just see how you go. Okay, so just, yeah, two hands. It's up to you. Jesus, just hold it out in front of you. That's it. Perfect. And so even though this weight is actually really light, 
What we'll see is that as Mike holds that weight out in front of him, he'll start to feel the pressure and strain from the weight as it's bearing down on him. And this is kind of like unforgiveness. What happens is at first, you know, we might be okay with it, but the longer we stand, the longer we carry that unforgiveness and harbor thoughts of revenge, it starts taking a physical toll on us. And Mike's doing a fantastic job, so I'm going to keep going. <laughs> um, neuroscientists and biologists have confirmed this. And, and for those of, I know there's many nurses and teachers in the room here, but what happens when we carry this weight of unforgiveness in our lives is that we have our sympathetic nervous system be on edge and it's constantly firing. And as a result, we've got this adrenaline running through our body. And when we experience this over long periods of time, what happens is it has detrimental effects to our health. And we see that people who carry unforgiveness, it's, it's proven in the literature, have higher rates of obesity, have higher rates of um, diabetes, struggle more with anxiety and depression, and there's a whole range and host of other physical ailments which are associated with holding on and carrying unforgiveness. And Mike, mate, you're doing amazing. How are you feeling out there? We're getting that. I don't know if you could tell in his voice. Okay, it doesn't matter how strong you are. As you carry that, eventually what happens is it will fatigue you. And Mike is starting to experience that, even though he is doing an amazing job. How long do you reckon you can hold it there, Mike? Maybe a minute or two. <laughs> a minute or two. <laughs> All right, can we give him a huge round of applause? Thanks, big fella. Wonderful. I, uh, I did this illustration with a, another really burly guy, um, and, and just completely off topic, but he, he wanted to go the five kilos. I said, mate, are you sure? Five? He said, five kilos, and, and he was standing there for about 30 seconds, and he just had to let the thing go, so you did a, a really, really good job. Mike, so even though forgiveness can be really tricky, and, and it can be very difficult for us to let go I want to propose this morning that unforgiveness has far greater consequences for us. This morning I want to tell you that forgiveness is as easy or as difficult as just letting go. And I think sometimes we struggle with forgiveness because we don't actually understand what forgiveness is. And I'll tell you what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not like magically, I just never remember this thing that ever happened to me. And the truth is we're wired that way, that there are neural pathways that are formed. When we go through traumatic experiences, it's sort of inburnt into our brain. Forgiveness is also not feeling nothing. Some people think if I, it, I have to feel nothing about the situation. If, if I have to forgive, it's, it's like it never, ever happened to me. Although that can happen as the Holy Spirit works through us. But it doesn't have to be that. What forgiveness is, is choosing to let go of the ill will of the people who've hurt us. It's choosing to let go of our seeking revenge to get back at those people who have hurt us so deeply. It's just letting go of the prison that we can find ourselves in. And you know, the Bible tells us, Jesus says to us, if we were to come to him, his yoke is light and his burden is easy. Matthew 11. 
if we but ask him, he will help us to let go of that tremendous weight. When I consider my brokenness, the things I've done to harm other people and the story I shared with you this morning and there have been many other times where I've hurt people, the people I've loved most. When I consider my great debt and what it costs Jesus to hang on the cross for my sins, there's an image that is just burnt into the back of my mind and I pray if you take nothing else today that you would remember these words from Jesus. As he hung upon the cross with his broken and bloodied body, he said this, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. Luke 23, verse 34. If that is the the love of the Father, if that is the love that Jesus has shown us, far be it from me, not to forgive those who have wronged me. And shortly I want to show you a clip. On September, I think the 9th, September the 6th, 2018, Amber Geiger walked into a department, uh, walked into an apartment and shot and killed um, both him, Jean, as he was sitting on his couch eating ice cream. And this turned into a massive court case in America because she was an off-duty police officer. And, of course, the media used this to highlight the racial, systemic racial issues within the police force and, and across the country. But we've got a different focus this morning. As we look at the clip, I want you to hear not just the words of the heart of this man speaking. This is Branch John. This is Botham's brother. And he's addressing the judge and the jury at the trial. Let's have a listen. I don't know about you, I've probably seen that clip maybe six or seven times in preparation. But every time I watch it, I'm just...
This is the work of the Holy Spirit in a young man's life who has dealt with tremendous pain and loss, but yet has been able to forgive. A man who was stricken with grief after the most terrible of circumstances. I don't know who has wronged you. I don't know what they have done. I don't know the guilt that you carry, the shame or the pain, the hatred, the unforgiveness. But Jesus extends an opportunity that today could be the end of it. That today can be set free. That we can be set free. From this moment onwards, he extends an opportunity for us to consider his great forgiveness for our brokenness and sin and what it cost him. And as the Holy Spirit reveals that to us, the chains of unforgiveness come tumbling down. I wonder, Leah, if you can come and just play some chords in the background. Hey, point, let's just take a moment and reflect. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal if there's any unforgiveness in our lives. Father, I know that you've been preparing in our hearts beforehand Lord, today, the opportunity for us to let go. Father, as we reflect on the ultimate sacrifice that you have made for us, God, that you give us the capacity just to forgive, to let go. I thank you that today is an opportunity for some of us, Lord God, to finally once for maybe the first time in 10, 15, 20, 50 years to let go of the hurt, the pain, God, the unforgiveness that has held us back. That today will be a day of release, but a day of revelation. God, as we see you, what our sin has cost you. Holy Spirit can work in our seat. Holy Spirit can work when we're at home, lying in bed. Holy Spirit can do His business as we're walking down the street. But I know that God honors faith. I know that God honours it when we step out, when we storm and take the kingdom by force. And this morning, I'm going to ask a few of us, you know, if the Holy Spirit is tapping on your heart, if there's someone that you need to forgive. And look, sometimes it is us. We are sometimes the hardest people to forgive because we need to live with the mistakes that we have made. But today there is freedom in this place. And so if you want to receive that, if you want to receive the ability to let go. Today's the day I want to stand with you. And so what we might do is I'm going to ask you to be brave. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I want you to stand where you are right now.
as the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, just stand. If you know that you need to forgive, God is ready, He is willing, and He wants you to take that step. Today is a different day. Today is a new day. Today you are going to be set free and walk in the victory and in the freedom that comes of letting go of unforgiveness. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you for the courage of the men and women who have stood up today and said, we want what you offer. Jesus, we want to be free. Jesus, we want to forgive. Jesus, we want to let go. Jesus, we want from this day forward it to be new. Father, I just pray a special revelation for your Holy Spirit. God, that we would know your tremendous love for us. And God, it is in light of the sacrifice that you made for us that we can have the strength to forgive. God, I pray for restoration. Father, for some people, it's family members. I know that there are people here, Lord, who are struggling to forgive what has happened in their family. And today I pray deliverance, release in Jesus' name, that those relationships would be made whole. I pray this week that there will be phone calls out of the blue, Father, as you start speaking to people's hearts, that you would start bringing families back together, Father, by your presence and your power working in and through people. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. While we're in this attitude, just want to extend the, the opportunity for anyone who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I can tell you from personal experience that I would not be able to cope with life without Him. If you would like to take that opportunity, just want you to pray after me. I'm going to pray a prayer and feel free to repeat it out loud or in your heart and mind if you like. Father, I thank you that from today onwards, you would be the Lord of my life. Father, I give you all my sin and brokenness and I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for your great sacrifice. Amen. If you've prayed that for the first time today, Hope Point family, can I encourage you to come and find Pastor Ben, Mike, Carol, any of us, Gwen. We would love to sit and talk to you about this awesome decision that you have made. It is honestly the best decision that you're going to make in your entire life. So, right, Thank you very much, Leah. I might hand over back to Carol. Thank you.